This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well, enjoying this hot weather, some pool time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know it's that time of year where we got to get outside as much as possible, even if it is hot. I still think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's enjoyable. Yeah, the yeah. stickiness, uh, the, the humidity. <laughs> it's a rite of passage in North Carolina. It's, it's what we got to do. And uh, well, we're going to get into a conversation here. We've got a return guest that we are pleased to welcome back. We have Dr. Hajira Yasmin. She's a board certified OBGYN and founder of, uh, owner and founder of AllRayMD.com. Dr. Yasmin, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Thank you for having me both. I'm super excited to be here today. Thank you. Yes, we're excited for, to hear more from you and uh, your expertise. So we talked a bit about menopause basics a few weeks ago and want to come back and circle back on symptoms and dive deeper in on sleep this episode. Can you talk to us about some ways that menopause can affect your sleep? Sure. Uh, you know, one thing I would like to tell more in this season is about hot flashes and mm-hmm. night sweats. I mean, hot flashes is a sensation of warmth. It's almost like a feverish warmth that comes on your scalp. It radiates down to your face and your upper chest, and it causes some amount of flushing. And some, you know, women usually feel a little dizzy and confused because you're kind of flushed on your face, on your, and there's a lot of sweating. And that can happen both during the day and at night. Mm. Some women experience a lot more than few others who have an occasional hot flash and a sweat. And uh, they they feel the chills as well because this is a a change in the physiology of your brain. Mm -hmm. And that is happening because of the fluctuating hormonal levels that is happening in the body around the age of 40, 45, 50, and beyond. You know, the hot flashes can last up to seven years, wow. even up to 10 years. So there's a pretty annoying um, uh, intrusion in your life. Like you're out and about in summer, you know, you're, you're kind of enjoying your summer, and then you get this boom, a hot flash that's just mm-hmm. kind of come on your face, on your head, and rolls down to your chest. Wow, yeah, I've heard people talk about them as the personal summer, so it's just that time of year, right? Uh, so yes. are, th- are there things that people can do to prevent hot flashes or or their treatments for hot flashes? Absolutely. Hot flashes, first of all, I want to say hot flashes are annoying because they are very disturbing, but now there is a, a, there are studies and research that is going on that hot flashes, if you ignore it for a long time, can signal... Uh, occurrence of stroke, cardiovascular disease, like a heart attack, or even Mm. cognitive decline, like memory loss, and you know, you're not remembering things, and your attention and concentration is coming down as you age. So this is something that I would recommend some few measures for you to do for a couple months. And if you're not getting any help, 
to really seek help with a, with a menopause specialist or your provider to talk about it and say, hey, this is not helping me. How do I get some uh, relief from this? The first and the foremost tip that I would say, Mary, is to dress in layers. Mm-hmm. Stay cool. Do some lifestyle support changes like uh, avoid processed food, avoid sugar, you know, try to eat more of protein and whole grains and exercise. 30 minutes of exercise in a cool place. It could be yoga. It could be some gentle stretches, something to keep your body moving at least five times a day. And then hydration, at least eight glasses of water about eight ounces each. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are some over-the-counter medications that women could try, like, you know, evening primrose oil, vitamin E, and isoflavones, and, and a lot of things. Like if you go to Walgreens or GNC or any of these health food stores, you'll find a bunch of uh, uh, supplements and some other stuff that says uh, effective for hot flashes, relief of hot flashes. You could try that. But I would recommend do not stay on this Band-Aid for more than three months. If mm-hmm. you have used it for three months and if you have done all the necessary changes in your lifestyle support and other things, please see a menopause specialist so that we can talk to you taking your individual risk factors with a hormone therapy in the lowest dose can help you relieve those hot flashes. And hormone therapy does relieve. It's mainly the estrogen or the progesterone therapy that is those are the two vital hormones that are there in a woman's body they can help relieve these symptoms it's very helpful and great tips is does everyone get hot flashes or is it just some people 60 percent of perimenopause and menopause women perimenopause is a mysterious precursor it's a journey before menopause average age of menopause is 51 Perimenopause can start even 10 years before. It can start at 40, it can start at 45, 48. It's very unpredictable. So the first sign of perimenopause could be an occasional hot flash. Mm -hmm. You're in the middle of a supermarket or you're sleeping in the middle of the night and you just get up like drenched in sweat. It could just be one hot flash for the entire day or it could be a hot flash every hour. And people who hot flash frequently they are kind of called super flashers. You know, they're kind of flashing all the time. And, you know, I wish it was as jazzy as it sounds, but it's not. <laughs> so now that someone is experiencing hot flashes, which seems like one of the first symptoms of menopause, should should women be concerned about what lies ahead and, and these other uh, impacts of menopause is coming for them? hundred percent, hundred percent. I want women to start journaling the symptoms, start mm. looking at themselves inwards. What is happening to me? I got a hot flash on Monday. I'm getting it again on a Wednesday, on a Friday. What's happening to my body? What can I do to change things? Am I totally stressed? Do some stress management, you know, like walking, exercise, alter your diet, take out alcohol, any, any food that triggers, and, I, and I, I want to say some spicy food, alcohol, caffeine, all these things can trigger that hot flash. Try to modify these things and see if things get better. And if they don't get better, I would want women to seek information about perimenopause and menopause that is ahead of them because this is an inevitable journey for every woman on this planet. It could be easier for a few, but as I said, 40 to 60% of them will go through a chaotic menopause. 
and it could be some, for some of them it could be volcanic it could be so hot and so miserable with other symptoms that they need help mm. but i just don't want them to ignore thinking that hey you know what my my mother's menopause i'm going to live my grandmother's menopause where they never spoke about it because historically nobody talks about menopause so they i i don't want women in today's world to just push this under the carpet and tough it out because there are true health risks associated with these symptoms Definitely. Before we move to the next uh, subject that we want to touch on today with you, are there any other sleep disturbances from menopause that uh, women should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, uh, anxiety is another thing because uh, somebody who is not at all an anxious person, a very mellow person can develop new onset anxiety in the middle of the night and sleep disturbances can happen. A lot of mind chatter insomnia, not able to sleep, and not able to have a good quality, continuous six to seven hours of sleep, frequent awakenings due to night sweats. You can imagine somebody who, who goes to bed at a normal temperature, you got your air on during summer, your bedroom is nice and cool, and you are sleeping, and then you wake up at 2 a.m., and your sheets are wet, your dress is wet, and you're like, your pillow is wet, and you're like, oh my God, like what's happening to me? So terrible anxiety. Okay, what what is going on? So women experience palpitations, which is like fastening of the heartbeat, and you can actually feel your heart rate going fast, and it that calms down after the heart flash. So that's another thing. The quality mm-hmm. of sleep deteriorates during that transition of midlife, and when that happens, the functioning of women during the day in their daily life gets affected. They're not able to do their jobs well. They are more crabby. They are frustrated. They don't feel themselves. Like I have patients like just last week, I had somebody who was 44 years old and they just come in and say, it's not me. Something is changing in me. I was more of a mellow person. It's, I'm, I'm no longer that. I'm crabby. I, I, in my relationships with my kids, with my husband, with, at my work, my, uh, the way I show up in the world is very different mm-hmm. because my quality of sleep is bad. Uh, yeah, and uh, connecting those can sometimes be uh, not the easiest thing to do, but this is an incredibly informative conversation. We're speaking with Dr. Hajira Yasmin. She is a board-certified OBGYN and owner and and founder of AlrayMD.com. And we're going to continue our conversation with her right after this. Stick around. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Hey, don't forget, if you ever want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, the best place to go online is transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Dr. Hajira Yasmin. She is a board-certified OBGYN and owner and founder of AllRayMD.com. 
menopausemenopause.com. And we're having a conversation related to menopause and uh, some some of the symptoms that tend to be experienced. And uh, Mary, we've, we've gone over a gamut here. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think we kind of talked about this the last time we had Dr. Yasmin on and that, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a stigma around this. And it's Absolutely. important to have these conversations because, boy, uh, going through some of these symptoms doesn't sound like uh, any sort of fun or right. <laughs> that anyone would want to endure. I completely agree. And, you know, there's new studies out now that are saying that menopause uh, before 40 can increase your risk of stroke. And we've talked to Dr. Yasmin before about some of the heart risk, but I really want to dive into this. Can you talk to us more about the cardiac risk factors of menopause? Yes, I, I'm, I'm happy to. Um, when, men, when women enter menopause, the level of estrogen, or that is the key hormone that is produced in your ovary, starts to trend down. It goes lower and lower. And at one point after menopause, which is usually after 51 and 55 years of age, it almost becomes like negligible to what we had that hormone in our 30s and 40s. And that's the cardioprotective hormone. That's the hormone that keeps your blood vessels open, your blood flow to your heart open. It prevents that from atherosclerosis. That is a process that happens in your coronary arteries. Those are the arteries that carry blood to your heart for it to remain patent. When this Mm -hmm. hormone starts going down in your body, in a woman's body around 55, 52, 53, changes keep happening in those blood vessels. So there is deposition of fat plaques. They are called atherosclerotic plaques. There is narrowing of your arteries. And your metabolism changes because your triglycerides go up, your cholesterol goes up, and a woman's risk for heart disease almost becomes more or equal to a man's risk. Why do you think a woman does not get a heart attack when she's 40 or 35 or 45, unless she has some risk factors, which is a different scenario, mm-hmm. is because we are protected by the estrogen that we have in our circulation. We don't have that estrogen after menopause, and it increases our risk for cardiovascular disease, like a heart attack, and then stroke. Strokes happen because blood clots form and they migrate to your cerebral, your, your brain blood vessels. And that's where the blockage happens. And women are at increased risk for stroke and also cognitive decline. There is mm-hmm. a lot of studies that are going around in the world you know, here in some of the Ivy League universities and also mm-hmm. internationally in Europe where they have seen women who are on estrogen replacement therapy in a safe way. Now, remember, there, there are very the many nuances to this hormone therapy. You just can't put everybody on hormones. It has to be a very tailored, customized approach to put somebody on hormones. And it has to be done by somebody who's trained and who's a specialist who can mm-hmm. monitor you on the lowest dose of hormones. So those women who are on hormones, we don't see much of a cognitive decline in them. Mm. So there has been a question about, how is dementia or loss of memory or concentration delayed in this group of women when they are on these hormones? So there's a lot of interesting data that is coming out to say that we should start hormone therapy very early. Like if a woman goes in menopause at 50, Mm -hmm. it's better to do hormone therapy as soon as she goes into menopause before clogging up the the system, you know, like before Mm -hmm. her blood vessels get 
completely blocked by those plaques, which I was talking about in atherosclerosis. So NAMS, North American Menopause Society, has come up with a consensus, a guideline here in our country to say, we need to start menopause therapy early on. It's called right. the timing hypothesis, which means early on is like 50 and we use it for about five to 10 years in mm -hmm. the lowest dose. And those women will have decreased risk of cardiovascular disease, stroke, bone health, like your bones are protected, your cognitive decline is postponed or delayed in your life. If you were this time to get dementia at 60, you probably are pushing it away to 80. Wow. So, so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of interesting data that's coming out to say, hey, the hormones are all not bad. Right. Please go to a specialist, get yourself evaluated with your mm -hmm. risk factors and use hormones in the lowest dose so that we can keep these things at bay for women, especially cardiovascular disease, because cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer disease for women, wow. more than breast cancer, more than breast cancer. It's the, it's the top on the list. Wow, that's that's insane. So how how can women who are menopausal reduce their risk of heart disease? What are other ways and other tips that you can give um, to women who are in menopause? Three, three big things. Diet, exercise, and cut down all the processed food. I mean, mm. these are my three big things. Honestly, if somebody can do some form of exercise, movement is so important. It, it, it improves the chemicals, the neurochemicals in your brain. It keeps up your circulation in every organ of your body. Just do any form of exercise, 30 to 40 minutes, at least five times a day. Cut back and, and go for a Mediterranean kind of a diet, especially for my menopausal, perimenopausal women. I would say take out all the processed food, go for more veggies and fruits and, you know, cut back on saturated fats. And, you know, an occasional treat, uh, sugar is fine, but not like on a daily consistent basis. So diet is important. Stress management is also very important because stress increases cortisol. And cortisol is, is something that can bring about a metabolic chaos in your body. And we don't have that estrogen in menopause to protect us. We had that estrogen before menopause to protect us for all these insults in our body. We don't have that hormone anymore, anymore in menopause. So I think menopausal women should do a lifestyle change, a complete lifestyle change to reduce the cardiovascular risk. Now, the second piece is medications. Like meet, meet with your uh, provider, your primary care provider, go for your annual exams, get your blood sugar tested, get your lipid panel tested, get your A1C tested. And if you think you're at the verge of getting into that high cholesterol, your blood pressure is going up, your, your food intake is bad, we need to revamp the entire gamut of things involving your other systems to stay away from this risk factor of cardiovascular disease. Dr. Yesman, I wanted to circle back on something that we discussed in the earlier segment when we were discussing hot flashes. And you mentioned that uh, about 60% of women uh, in menopause experience hot flashes. Is there a, a genetic link there? If your mother experienced hot flashes, are you more likely to experience them as well? Yes, there is a small genetic link, very few case studies. I mean, women come to us and they tell us, oh, my mother had hot flashes, very bad menopause, and I'm going through the same. 
Well, we haven't pinned it down. The jury is out there. We don't have a decision on that. We don't have strong randomized controlled trials to say, hey, this is autosomal recessive or dominant. We don't have that. But there is definitely data out there to say, yes, there may be some amount of genetic um, uh, inheritance of uh, heart flashes, the severity of heart flashes, because, you know, 60% of women do experience heart flash. But remember, 20% are the super flashers out of those, you know, they are flashing all the time. They are miserable. Their quality of life is so bad that we definitely need treatment for them, medical treatment. They've tried all the medications over the counter. They've tried tons of stuff, black cohosh, isoflavones, everything that's available in those counters in Walgreens and other places, but they're not getting relief. So those kind of women do need medical treatment in the form of safe, Hormones. I will say again, safe hormones, because hormones do have adverse effect, and we have to monitor that. The hormone therapy itself is kind of an art. Well, Dr. Yasmin, we could talk to you all day. We appreciate your time today. We are out of time in this segment, but uh, I want to remind everyone that if you are interested in finding more information about Dr. Yasmin, you can go to alraymd.com, A-L-R-A-Y-M-D. Dot com. Dr. Yasmin, thank you so much. We always appreciate your enthusiasm and your, your knowledge on this. We, we really, really thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed sharing this, and thank you again. Absolutely. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care. On FM 98.5 AM 680, WPTF News Talk Traffic. I am Jason Kong. I am here with Mary Lucas, and we are now going to turn our attention to a conversation on death doulas. And to do that, we are pleased to welcome Charlie High. Charlie is the uh, is a consultant with Final Wishes. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, glad to be here. So doulas have gained a lot of popularity lately as a non-medical support for those giving birth. You know, I, I hear a lot of pregnant women talking about their doulas, but death doulas are a newer concept for so many. So, Charlie, can you talk us through what a death doula is? Yeah, sure. First of all, let me say that uh, I was not hired by death. Uh, <laughs> I'm not an agent of death. I don't work for death. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, the, the terminology can sometimes throw people off, and sometimes we use the term uh, end-of-life doula. Mm. Uh, but, but at the same time, we want people to confront the reality of death. And you're so right, as far as women and birth doulas, that's typically been uh, used together. But uh, it's providing non-medical support for people who are facing uh, the end of life, uh, it can be an awkward journey, uh, especially when you don't have a companion or sometimes family. They get too emotionally involved. And so a doula, a doula comes in and offers uh, non-judgmental support. Mm. 
And if I could use this phrase, I call us the triple A of death and dying. Mm -hmm. That uh, when triple A responds and we've locked ourselves out of the car and we need the keys, we really don't want to be chastised about how did you lock your keys in? This is the third time I've came out this year. (laughs) Or if you have a flat tire, you know, you should have had better tires in the first place. We don't want to hear that. So in the same same mode, uh, a death doula, when we go to support families and those that are dying, we don't do it with a judgmental attitude. We don't try to uh, chastise them about why didn't you have your advanced care directives done. We just go in and fill the holes of that continuum of care in a non-medical way. So whatever hole uh, needs to be filled, a death doula steps in and assists. Now, now with that being said, um, there are a lot of specializations with doulas. So some specialize in elder care where they're going to be uh, mainly dealing with assisted living facilities. Mm-hmm. You have some that, of course, death doula, you're going to think end of life, but some actually uh, emphasize that end of life portion where they're going to be doing respite care. They're going to be mm-hmm. sitting by the bedside of someone who's about to transition. Um, you also have legacy facilitating doulas, and what they'll do is help uh, those who want to build a legacy. Uh, maybe it's a collage, maybe it's leaving some kind of written uh, written uh, instructions about what life is meant to them, and that kind of thing. You have mourning or death, mourning or grief doulas also who specialize in dealing with families who are suffering from grief uh, after the fact that person has passed. And then post-death home organization doulas, when someone passes and there's a lot of memorabilia, pictures, uh, items left, um, it's sometimes emotionally difficult mm-hmm. to go ahead and get these things organized and, and out of the way. So you can have a doula come in and help with that process. And then finally, uh, there are pet doulas. A lot of people wouldn't uh-huh. associate doulas with the pets, but pets actually, for a lot of families or, or, or family members, and they can live for over a decade a lot mm-hmm. of times, and they become part of that family unit. So a doula can come in and actually do the same thing that you would do for a human being because there's grief associated with losing that pet also. Oh, you're pulling at my heartstrings. Uh, <laughs> how do you go about finding a death doula that works best for you and your family? Now, that is a great question, and I think it'll be easier in months and years to come as doulas become more associated with mm-hmm. death. Um, There's a death doula directory that you can go to uh, for most states. Now, some states, it's because it's so new, don't even have a list of any doulas listed. But that would be where I would start Mm -hmm. in your particular state. Um, You can also visit my website, and I can assist in finding a doula uh, in that particular specialization that someone may need. And my website is uh, highsocietyaftercare.com, and that's Mm -hmm. H-Y societyaftercare.com. But hopefully doulas will become more popular, death doulas, and and we'll have more people uh, jumping into this field. Absolutely. Are they an expensive thing to add on to your care at the end of life? Well, it's going to depend. Uh, Some doulas do it on a voluntary basis because they just have a heart for it. Mm -hmm. And financially, maybe they're doing okay, doing well enough not to uh, need to charge for services. But Mm -hmm. that's something you're going to work out ahead of time. And some may bill by the hour. Some may bill by the actual uh, client. Mm -hmm. Um, So because saying that to say, let's say if someone uh, is a a respite doula and they're providing respite care, giving the family a caregiving break, that could actually uh, add up to quite a bit if the person lives 
for a significant amount of time if you bill them by the hour. Mm-hmm. So it's going to vary how that doula approaches that mm-hmm. thing about it. There's no set way that a doula would do it, so you have to consult with that doula ahead of time. Definitely. So being in your role, I'm sure you've had a lot of meaningful conversations with patients and families about their needs and desires to enjoy their final moments. What are some of the most common things you've heard from, from your work? Well, that's a good question. A high side top five is what I'm going to call this, and okay. it may change. And when I say high side, I'm speaking of high society. <laughs> um, it may change the, the, in a few months when I'm asked this question, but um, I hear a lot of times that, let's say a, a spouse loses their, the, the other one, and they may say, I wish I would have participated more in the household duties and mm-hmm. chores. In other words, that now I'm dealing with grief, but I don't know how to pay the light bill. Uh, I don't know the bank account mm-hmm. numbers. I just put, it was direct deposited. I don't know how to get access to this and that. So that was huge as far as uh, spouses. I know with COVID being such a, having such a, a huge impact on our uh, funeral services that a lot of times families weren't able to have a service. And I'm seeing now on the other side, families uh, in going through even more complicated grief because they did not have a service with mm-hmm. the cremation. So, so I would encourage families to have some type of memorial, from what I'm hearing, even mm-hmm. if you have a cremation. Um, another thing that I've heard a lot of, and this is what I hear ahead of time when I, I offer my services as a doula, which include also helping people with living wheels, uh, wheels, uh, estate planning issues, or referring them to an attorney. They'll tell me that they don't need it because their family gets along fine. (laughs) Everybody agrees on everything until death occurs. And then unpredictable things occur when you have a family member who's been estranged comes in and tries to take over uh, that they didn't anticipate. So, again, I would encourage people to go ahead and address these things ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Another huge uh, area is that grief is not something that you complete and as a doula, we do get into the aftercare of grief uh, when a family has lost a, a uh, close family member. And, you know, the five stages that we commonly hear, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, uh, they think of that as something that you complete. Mm-hmm. And they'll ask me sometimes, is, hey, I'm on what stage am I, and when will I reach the fifth stage acceptance because this grief is, is killing me, and it's year three. And so one of the things I like to clear up is it's not something you complete. It's something you learn to live with grief, and you may go through these stages repeatedly and out of order and continuously. So there's no set way to deal with grief. Is I like to explain that to people because they don't know it until it hits their, their, their family. And if I could sum up the last one for me as far as what I've experienced, as far as uh, me getting the word out, is a lot of families... Uh, um, well, let's say the obituary. Uh, a lot of times the obituary is written because a person lived a life. They did not want to live that life. So they wish they had lived their life instead of the life that others wanted them to live. So maybe they were an attorney for 30 years, but they went into the field because their mother wanted them to. But they were miserable during that job. So a lot of people who are about to pass will tell me that they wish they had lived their dreams, their passions, instead of the passions that someone else wanted them to live. Mm-hmm. That's a, a great perspective, and uh, it's, it's something that we, we do need to spend more time thinking about. And, Charlie, we appreciate your time today. He is Charlie High, a Final Wishes 
consultant, and you can f- learn more about him online at highsocietyaftercare.com, high spelt H-Y, so H-Y, societyaftercare.com. Charlie, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We are taking a short break, but we'll be right back after this. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we are exploring yet Another topic, and this one is an interesting one. I don't think we've broached this on the program before, but we're going to be talking about estranged parents, and we're welcoming back Carla Payne, and we've, we've called off our lawyers because Carla <laughs> is the owner and certified care manager of Aging Care Matters, and Carla, you know, we had an internal discussion, but we've decided that, you know, mm-hmm. no, no action <laughs> is going to happen going forward. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first things first, is it time to rehash what happened and ask why your strange parents are coming back or do you just dive right in? I'm going to dive in. All right. All right. So, uh, you know, with the, with the strange parents, you know, they come knocking on your door. Mm-hmm. Um, should you have the conversation of why you haven't spoken with them or um, mm-hmm. is it going to bring mm-hmm. up you know, things of the past, and it's just time oh. to to start where we are? Well, I want to tell you a story, if I can start with. Yeah. Imagine a couple that's having dinner, and the phone rings, and on the other line is a social worker from California letting you know that the mother you've not seen since you were 14 years old is coming on a plane in the next two days to your doorstep. Or your two sisters who are uh, getting together for a nice weekend uh, getaway and then receive a very similar phone call from a social worker in New York who is saying, you need to come get your dad now. Right now, he was on the street homeless, and we need you to pick him up right now. Those two stories are not, they're, they're true. These are true client cases that I've worked with that have happened in just the last couple of years. It sounds like a movie but it's reality. And um, I wanted to bring up this topic because after over 11 years of working as a professional care manager, I'm having more and more situations of adult children contacting us in a panic because parents they have not been in touch with for most of their lives are now being forced back into their lives and they're taking on this responsibility of their care in in their later years of life. And it's just overwhelming. And I feel like if I'm getting this number of calls, there's so many more people who are probably dealing with this or know someone who's dealing with it that I thought it was something we should talk about. Absolutely. So the immediate response for many children, I can imagine, is they're your parents and you need to take care of them. Is that the only option Mm -hmm. or are there resources you can put in place to help you? Absolutely. And so I think the most important thing to, to, to bring to topic is that all of those emotions are valid that you feel this sense of obligation because in our society we really do have a great deal of of societal uh, pressures that we are responsible for our parents, we're responsible for our children. And uh, oftentimes I think it's important to note that 
you have a choice that you may not be the best option to take on your parents' burden. So I want to make sure that folks know to seek counsel, to seek legal counsel, and make sure that adult children know that they are not responsible for their parents' debt. In both of those two scenarios that I shared, there was a great deal of debt that the adult children felt like they had an obligation to pay off the credit cards. That is not the case. If you're not connected in the credit card, that you're not a co-signer, then you are not responsible for their debt. So seek that legal counsel to make sure you know what your obligations are legally and not. And also counseling. It's important to acknowledge those emotions. Why are they estranged in the first place? What's happened in that family dynamic? That's all still real and very raw. So to have that professional counseling for your feelings of sadness, grief, anger, frustration, confusion, guilt, all of those need to be addressed and I strongly encourage professional counseling. And then, of course, a care manager like myself can, can help oftentimes guide through that path that maybe it's better that they stay in the state that they're in because if they are out of resources, Medicaid's different in each state. Mm-hmm. It's not all the same across the board. So it may be that it's better for their services and, and support to stay where they are. Mm-hmm. How closely should mm-hmm. you be involved, and what are some ways to set boundaries on level of contact? Wow, that's an excellent question. Um, that, again, is where I feel that it's important to have that counsel of support around you because boundaries are so hard for all of us, um, and, and it's, it's difficult to say, do you not answer the phone? Do you block the number? Do you say, I'm not responsible? Um, so I, I feel like it's an individual choice, and... In both the scenarios that I shared at the beginning uh, as we were talking, both of those scenarios, the adult children did take on the responsibility and their aging loved one, uh, well, not loved one, excuse me for saying that, it was an estranged relationship, is back in their lives and they are taking that responsibility. And there are um, ramifications from that that they've had to deal with financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked a little bit about emotions in this experience, and they're sure to be involved. Do you have any tips on navigating the emotional side of this and accepting the situation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that um, by getting as much mental health support as you can, I think that we are finding that having these conversations more openly, and such as the programs that you offer every week, and having these conversations and having a more open dialogue helps us to be at a better point for our mental health and seeking that support, and making sure that your own legal paperwork is all taken care of with your own power of attorney, your own health power of attorney, and your will, and all of those um, pieces are in place. In another case I'm working with, they thought that things had changed, but the the actual will had not changed, and when the person passed, what they thought was going to come to the adult child went to an estranged spouse. So it's important when there is a change in a relationship that you do make sure that those documents are updated because it can come back years later of something you thought was taken care of and it wasn't. Definitely. And I can hear in a lot of these situations, you know, calling an extra family assistance is important. You know, if you have siblings or aunts or uncles or how how you communicate with those people is, is critical in managing these kinds of situations. Do you have a lot of families who land in this situation as the um, care manager and in your role? Yes, and it's the cases that I've given recently are are um, 
are only children. They're the only child, and they're mm-hmm. the ones that are carrying the brunt of that obligation. So I try to help them to reach out if there are cousins, if there are um, aunts and uncles, even if they have not been in touch, can we try to bridge that gap and share that role and share that support for that estranged parent that's come back in their lives? Yes, absolutely, by mediating, by setting up those conversations and being an outside objective party through a legal counsel, a, ca- a professional counselor, or a care manager. Yeah, if you have some challenging family dynamics, having someone who's, who's got more of a, a neutral perspective can really help mm-hmm. things. She is Carla Payne, owner and certified care manager of Aging Care Matters. You can learn more online at agingcarematters.com. Carla, we, we could talk to you all afternoon, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. we, we do have to get out of here. So I want to thank you for your time. And again, we, we always appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, and thank you for having such a, a topic to be addressed. I really appreciate y'all's support. Thank a- you. Absolutely. Uh, we are just about out of time here. I want to remind everyone that if you missed portions of this episode or want to go back and listen to previous episodes, you can go online to WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button from there. You can click on the Aging Matters link. You can read more about Mary Lucas if you so choose. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, you got a little bio on there, and folks can... Uh, find more information about Transitions Life Care as well. Again, WPTF.com, click on the podcast button and find the Aging Matters section to listen to the full archive of Aging Matters episodes. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I am Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680. WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.